You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Welcome to Love Period. This is Jackie Lewis, and I'm so delighted to welcome today my guest, Kevin Garcia, who is a public theologian, um, a wonderful human being, and absolutely authentically himself, which means occasionally, just occasionally, a blue word, blue language flies. And uh, we decided not to bleep out Kevin because we're not bleeping out who he is. Uh, if you are uh, not used to colorful words, you have little ones listening, you might want to uh, turn the volume down. So just giving you a fair warning and also um, apologies if it offends you. It delighted me. Uh, but this podcast, today's episode, will inspire you. It will help you to think about love in a new way. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackie Lewis, and this is Love Period, a podcast about how to love ourselves, our posse, and the world fiercely on the way to making the world better. I'm so glad today that my guest is Kevin Garcia. They are a public theologian whose pulpit is most often social media. Kevin and I bump into each other out in the world speaking when we can. They are an author, a podcast meister, and a love warrior. Kevin Garcia. Oh, what's I'm up? So, I'm so glad you're here today. I am I'm, thrilled. Thank you, honey. It's good to like be able to do this for real, right? I know. It's it's like the the world is both moving very very fast and also not not quick enough right now. It seems so. I am glad to have some time with you. Like, I am so thrilled to have some time with you. I feel like you're my. I feel like you're this person that I should be best friends with, but we don't have time. That's how it feels. I feel so like when I look at you, I feel very similar. I'm just like, I don't know if you know, but like I'm watching you and I'm watching the way that you move through the world. And yeah, I also think that we like if we lived in the same place, we would have such a good time. We so. would. It, we would. I feel like it would be Chardonnay, mm-hmm. cheese and crackers, Hello. and great theology. Right. 100%. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. That's my ideal <laughs> afternoon. That's just a Tuesday for me. <laughs> That's great. Kevin, um, you know, you have you are the podcast king. So everybody Apparently. everybody knows your 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 there are many stories that they know. But what's been really beautiful about bringing people to love period mm-hmm. is that I have this varied posse, you know, like yeah. oh, so really Barbara Brown Taylor and Kevin Garcia, right? And Titus Burgess, right? Mm-hmm. So just it's like you are, uh, you are. What is it? Six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Yes, that's right. That's correct. I am. But one of the things that I would love to do is just to ask you a little bit about um, about your your story, like your origin mm-hmm. story. You know, Garcia sure. is not an American name. Not so an American you, name. Not at an American all. name. Could you tell us a little bit about you? Just mm-hmm. how you got to be you. Right. Uh, I think every queer faith story begins with. At least in the in America, I grew up in a good Christian home, mm-hmm. and my mama was the worship leader. My uncle was the pastor. My dad was twenty nine years military. I was the third of four sons. Wait, twenty nine years military? Which branch? Uh, the Army, hundred um, first Airborne Division. So, what? Yeah, yeah. And you actually know what that is, apparently, because no, like, well, because I think my brother Ronald Lewis is a hundred and first Airborne. Division. I know who Ronald Lewis is. Stop! Yes. So that's my brother. Oh wow. Okay. So we were literally like right here. Yeah. 
In in Texas, where were you stationed? Where did um, your daddy go? Uh, Fort Campbell and yep. then Virginia, but they were deployed all the time. And oh I remember, you know, during formal season or the hundred and first, like whenever we wrote out like Christmas letters or like would go to the function, like it's like okay, say hello to you know Mr. Lewis and all the people. Like I like all of my dad's friends were. Just, Don't you think that's the weirdest two degrees of separation? Right. That's there. phenomenal for me. <laughs> I yeah. have chills. Okay, okay. I the didn't world. mean to interrupt you. Four brothers. No. Army. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <gasps> so you can imagine, like you know, where I was set up for just you know a very particular kind of life. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, we were you know uh, socially conservative. We were religiously conservative, and also we didn't have a reason to question it because my dad, though a Mexican man, um, more fair skinned, and okay. also married my mother, who is a white woman. Okay. And so. Uh, you know, we na- we got um, we got white names: Kevin, Patrick, Robert, Kevin, and Ryan, with the oh. last name Garcia, specifically because my mom didn't want us to have any trouble when applying for jobs later in life. Because my mom understood wow. the game. Wow. So, um, but yeah, f- you know, fast forward, we're living in Virginia. I realize in high school that I'm queer, and my dad, through a very very tough conversation we had, outed me to my mother, and we got put in. And by we, I mean me. Uh, I got put in ex-gay therapy for 12 years. You've got to be freaking kidding me. 12 years. Not a year. Not let's see if it works. 12 years? Yeah, and it was mostly like once once they took me the first time, it was pretty much self-imposed, if I'm being honest. Because from I already thought in my head, I was taught my whole life that um, homosexuality is an abomination before God. And I talk like that because that's how my family talks. I'm not making fun of people in the South. Um, but that's what we were taught. That's what I learned. Um, and so, and I, I wanted nothing more than to please God. I had this really hmm. wonderful experience at nine years old where I felt spirit for the first time. And I didn't recognize it. That's what it was until much later in life because people right. told me to calm down and stop being dramatic. And then I start <laughs> reading about like all of these saints who had all these like dramatic experiences with spirit. I'm like, no, 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 that's me, that's me. Um, yeah, I, um, I, once I went, I was told like, it's not your fault that you're, you've got these same sex attractions, but it is your duty as a Christian to resist them because marriage is between one man and one woman, et cetera, et cetera. So for 12 years, I was in and out of different kinds of groups and programs, uh, even into college, because I was really dedicated to not wanting to do the thing that was displeasing to God. Uh, To the point where when I was in school, I was kind of living a double life where like I was in a fraternity and I was Mm -hmm. half in and half out of the closet. And then I also went to church and was on the worship team and, you know, fighting my demons all the time, spiraling in my behaviors, um, went to become a missionary because I thought that that was going to be the thing that saved my soul. Or if I serve God enough, maybe God would heal me. And then, and then, you know, you get back from the mission and by you, I mean me, I got back from the mission field. I was incredibly depressed. I attempted twice. And then at the end of that second attempt, I said to myself, okay, something's got to change. Either I need to learn how to live as a celibate queer person. I didn't say these things. Either got to get in line with celibacy or I need to figure out something else because maybe there's a new way of looking at this. And so then I Googled, can you Mm. be gay and Christian for the first time? Wow. How old were you when you did that, love? 24. Okay. I think I was Mm -hmm. 24. Um, And 
found the Gay Christian Network, mm-hmm. found these two things, um, found Matthew Vines' video on mm-hmm. YouTube, and I said, this sounds like heresy to me, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was a good Christian. <laughs> um, but then, like, I, there was just this part of me that's just like, I so wanted it to be true. I'm just like, how can, like, that doesn't make sense to me. If God created me good, how could I want sin? Mm-hmm. And that just clicked with me. I'm just like, this. these feelings, I know did not come from some outside source. They didn't come from some influence of, you know, media or uh, or even assault. You know, right. it, it came right. from somewhere deep within me. Yeah. So, um, fast forward, I'm working for the missions organization because, of course, why wouldn't I? Yeah, of course. Uh, and I realize, I, 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 I start thinking, okay, maybe there's a different way possible. And I, I got to this point where I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm asking the Spirit, and I'm pretty sure the Spirit is telling me to come out. I'm pretty sure the Spirit is calling me out of the closet. Yeah. Um, and I said, okay, I'm just going to be okay with this. And so um, got on Tinder, because, you know, that's what you do. And I matched <laughs> with a guy on Tinder, and he invited me to a queer Christian conference in Atlanta. Wow. <laughs> went there, didn't even talk to him like maybe once, but then my whole, <laughs> but then my whole life changed after that. And so from summer 2015 on, when I worshiped for the first time in a room full of queer Christians, I said, there's no going back for me. I'm not mm-hmm. going back into shame. I'm not mm-hmm. going back into uh, a place that is below my worth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a worship song I used to sing a lot, which is like, my feet have felt the promised land and I'm Ooh. not going back. And so I really pressed into that. I'm like, I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care if I lose this community. I have to do this because I've been miserable my whole life and I'm finally yeah. feeling joy for the first time. Wow, Kevin. And so I left summer of 2015. I had no job, no money, no connections, no community. And I slept on an air mattress in a really shitty basement apartment with my best friend, Casey, um, until for about a year. Mm-hmm. Until we were able to get back on our feet. And I do not regret a single moment. So... And now, like now, I got a master's degree. I wrote a book, and we're making junk on the internet that people apparently like. <laughs> I love it. I That's the short version. I love that. Um, how does the song go? My feet didn't touch the promised oh, land. Oh, yeah, it? it was my feet have felt the promised land, and I'm not going back. Can you just repeat it? My feet have felt the promised land, and I'm not going back. It's kind of one of those things where you're just yeah. like jamming, and then people are free worshiping, and it just. I, love I come from that. Pentecostal land, so just like. I love it. My feet. <sighs> the promised land, and it's I'm so not good. going back. Like that? Mm, yeah. Beautiful. If I remember correctly, yeah. Because like we were like the worship culture that I came from in the mission community was so it really did teach me how to hear Holy Spirit. And then like that parlayed into all of the other practices I now have. They all I learned like how to hear the voice of God in a space that says you can't be gay. And yet I was, am, and did. And heard, mm-hmm. could hear, which means you got some good ears. And Hello? a good amen. So you know, you who, uh, I grew up in a military family too. My dad was Air Force, but mm-hmm. brother Army. And I'm just thinking about the, I'm thinking about, you know, process and structure and yes, sir, and tight, but mm-hmm. <laughs> tight, tightness. Oh, yeah. The- and add to that the church's weird anti-queer self. 
How mm-hmm. did you learn to be you and love you? Mm-hmm. And how did you come, how did you fall in love with you? Ah, that one, it took, it took a long time, to be honest, because when you hear your whole life that you are no good, like, first of all, the the teaching that we're all just bad, 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 that originals, like the doctrine of original sin that says that we can't help but screw things up is a false. That's false. Yes, it is. Um, Because I believe that I am like my creator, and I believe that we are all like our creator. We are created in love, and therefore there's no cruelty in me or in God. Do I make mistakes and errors? Do we make mistakes and errors? Yes. Yes. Um, But like, you know, I feel like the world taught that love meant sacrifice, because of like what we learned. And that's also like very indicative of a military family. It was all about sacrificing for the country, sacrificing yeah. for the family, and then yeah. sacrifice, sacrifice. Because we sac- Jesus sacrificed himself. We got to be willing to give up everything. And, you know, when when it, when it that shift happened, it was like, oh no, Jesus, uh, he sure, gave up his life. But at the same time, it was more so taken from him. Right. And... I was thinking once that shift happened in me, I was like, oh my God, they are demanding my life from me. And that's not what Jesus asked, actually. Mm-hmm. He asked for me to go live. Yep. Um, so the process really, it took about, you know, 12 years yeah. from all that. Uh, and then after I came out, I would say it took a solid, I didn't get into a good, I didn't find a good therapist for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been working with her for three years now. And she was there through um, my first real relationship, the genesis and the destruction of it. Um, She was there for me when my my father passed away. Hmm. Um, But I think the thing that allowed me to really fall in love with myself was, um, I think, finding the practices that that led me back to life. And what I mean by that is, when I left... Like, you know, when I left evangelicalism, when I got kicked out of missionary world, I felt like things like prayer, uh, different kinds of music, different kinds of expression, like, oh, that belongs to them. I left that behind Mm -hmm. to go out into the weeping of gnashing of teeth. I chose this and I chose this exile. I can't take those things with me. Um, And I had to just talk back to that voice to say, actually, like, was it helpful? You know, did moving your body in that way feel good? Mm-hmm. Do those songs still mean something to you? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had to admit that like, you know, that there's still like old hymns that make me cry. And there's still something about the, just the thought of Jesus that gets me in my my person. And so as I got my, into my spiritual practices, I discovered this thing called A Course in Miracles. And I'm a- Yeah, I love uh, that. Yeah, and so this is what it's what I teach my clients. Um, it's what I work with on a daily basis, and it's basically just a giant love letter from spirit to remind us that you think that God is fear, you think God is this punisher, you think that God is separation, you think that all these fearful things, but all of that's just an illusion. And yeah. you and it says if you would see but for a moment how much God loves you, you would be indescribably happy. Wow. Yeah. And I just right. started to believe this idea that maybe God loved me. Mm-hmm. And it, the course also says, it is not arrogance to say that you are a child of God. It is arrogance to claim that you are not. Because that Ooh, is to say yeah. you are not as God created you. Right. And you don't and I'm no. like, I'm not I'm not one to disagree with the creator of the universe. <laughs> you know? 
And what also, would I like, be? <laughs> right? Yeah. And plus, my life is so much richer when I think with love rather than think with fear. And what, yeah. and like, it's so much easier for me to believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made than it is to think that I am just a piece of shit who's bound to fuck up all the time. Pardon my French, you can bleep it if you need to. I, I don't think we should bleep it. I'm just saying yeah. it out loud. It seems yeah. like it goes with what we're saying. So did did how did you find the Course in Miracles? Did you find it mm. through Marianne Williamson's book on no. it? Or no, tell me. Um I, I kind of found it because I uh I started like getting into, you know, the slipper they, they tell you about a slippery slope sometimes. No. And <laughs> And it's not really so much a slippery slope as it is like an arduous uphill battle towards justice, right? Yes, right. It's like you you find out you can be queer and Christian, and then it's like critical race theory, and then it's womanism, and then it's, you know, a universal Christ. Yes. Like, Um, suddenly you got Katie Cannon, Richard Rohr. You mm -hmm. got got all kinds of mentors in there, right? Yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, I think I found the course just through different people I was following who would just mention. They would say things like, A Course in Miracles tells us, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, what is is that that? about? Right. You know, so Google leads to one thing. Um, I listened to Marianne Williamson read A Return to Love. And Mm -hmm. my whole world, I was like, this sounds like everything that Jesus ever taught, just taken to the nth degree. Right. And I'm like, maybe I should check it out. And so I did. And... The way, like, I, I I really got into it while I was in seminary too. Oh yeah, where um, did you where did you go to school? Remind Columbia me. Theological Columbia. Seminary in New York, uh, or down in or the one down in, in the Decatur, South. Georgia. In Decatur, <laughs> yeah, where it is greater apparently. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think it was through discovering that and um, creating my physical practices of meditation and yoga. Yeah. Um. So it's like a mindfulness practice and mm-hmm. a movement practice. Ooh. Those are the two ways. And then I think the other part of it was a radical love of my actual body as mm. a person and not just as an object in which I my spirit resides. Um, my body is a person. That's something my friend Jamie Lee Finch taught me is that he has been working so hard to keep me safe for my entire life and loves me so much. And to be able to say that my body loves me at the same time, feels like I'm saying, I know that God loves me because God created this thing. Kevin, I hardly ever in hear anybody say that. Hmm. I hardly ever, I mean, I'm a womanist. I think I'm an embodied preacher, worker. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying my body is a person and he loves me. Mm-hmm. That's really so... Yeah. A helpful a frame. Yeah, because like if we think about like even the trauma that our body carries and responds to isn't is like the body trying to love us and say, no, 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 that's not safe. We've been yeah. through that before. Yeah. You know, we Let's we all read the body keeps the score. We know how it works. Right. And so I think, and this is also something my friend Jamie pointed out recently, is that as we come back into a loving relationship with our bodies. Um, we often like there's this thing of like your body knows your body has answers and your body does your body's also traumatized maybe so not yeah. all the data coming in yeah. might be uh, helpful yeah. so you have to be as a conscious yeah. human who's you know here in the body and also at the same time in the spirit because we are paradoxical yeah you gotta ask okay what is gonna like I see this data what do I want to do with it how yeah. and like regardless of what it's telling it telling me the question I always have is, how am I going to return back to peace? Yeah. How am I going to return back to equilibrium? 
to remind myself that I am always in love's presence. And if I can remember what peace feels like, if I can remember what that love feels like, I can always get back there. And my yeah. body remembers yeah. much of the time. Yep. That's really beautiful love. That's so beautiful. Mm. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. You know, this book I wrote, um, Fierce Love, it's coming out in November. I was doing the work and doing the research and thinking about love in these three concentric circles, right? Loving mm -hmm. ourselves, loving the people, our posse. Like, I didn't make mm -hmm. that up. Hello, Jesus, you know. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. All the major world's religions, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And maybe what's the problem is we actually are loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, which is to say we don't love ourselves. Hello. So we're loving our neighbors poorly. Like, what mm -hmm. if that's the big problem about why people are such yes. stinky, stinky butts to each other, right? That can, that's, I think that's really it. Like, how can you do it? How can you, oh, yeah, I'm loving my mm -hmm. neighbor exactly like me. I don't like me. I don't like that one because their hair is yeah. pink or their it's like, hair it's is like if I can't If I can't be joyful and flourish, then nobody else can nobody, be joyful and flourish. You can't either. That's right. So, you know, often in these conversations, when I think about posse, like mm -hmm. I did love you, love your posse, love the world, um, I almost always take us to friends or colleagues. Mm -hmm. But I, I do want to just talk to you a little bit about family because mm -hmm. I just think we could do that. Yeah, let's you know, do it. Like um, you've got, you know, you've got brothers, right? I do. I've got, I've got brothers and a sister, and the posse that is your family mm -hmm. can be. Juicy, lovely, fabulous, flourishing love. It sometimes mm -hmm. can be a place where it's hard. Right. How do you navigate like the brothers and mm -hmm. you know the, the the with the brothers with the Mexican dad? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, we honestly, as far as most siblings are concerned, we actually really like being around each other. Um, holidays were a highlight for us. I think it's only really if I'm being honest, within the past four years, for me, where interactions with family have become a little bit more difficult because uh, as I, I think, have become more radicalized, if you mm -hmm, will, mm -hmm, and by that yeah. I mean more conscious and aware of the injustices that exist, especially within America. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, it's hard to be home sometimes because I'm feeling like I'm having to, like, shrink myself. Sure. Um, yeah. And so, like, you know, uh, I think a lot of times about this thing, I call it the cost, the price of admission for any mm -hmm. relationship. Like, mm -hmm. when you go to a fair, you know you're paying $12 to get in, $10 to ride a ride, $15 for funnel cake, right. $80 for heartburn overall. <laughs> um, and you're like, yes, I'm willing to pay that. Right. So it's the like same thing with relationships. To be, right. to you know, be with my, my friends, chosen family here in Atlanta cost of admission is quite low. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, BYOB, um, come hang out with us, be yourself. And, you know, if I need a ride sometime, maybe you can help me out. Right. You know, very right. low cost. Be yourself right. and love each other. 
Wow, what a concept. To be around my family, sometimes the cost is uh, don't talk about your politics and definitely don't talk about your faith practices and Mm -hmm. definitely don't talk about uh, your queerness. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, unless unless you're talking about like a boyfriend that you're dating. who's definitely a boy and not anything else. Right. You know? (laughs) Okay. And so it's, I'm learning that at this point in my life, I can't demand my family to change uh, you can't demand anything of anyone. That's the thing. And so I try really, really hard to just enjoy them as much as possible to mm-hmm. look at them and say, all right, I'm going to radically accept you where you are right now. Because mm-hmm. if I don't, I'm going to actively hate you. <laughs> I'm going to actively be mad at you. I'm going to like, if I can't, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm constantly distracted by the mistakes that I perceive that you are making, I can't actually love you or actually have a coherent conversation mm-hmm. if I did need to challenge those narratives. Yeah. But yeah. um, but I find for myself that I'm finally okay with, like, it's like, it's fine that my family and I are not the closest in the world. Like, my brothers and I talk on FaceTime. Um, I've got two nieces going on oh. three nieces pretty oh, soon. Oh, wow. Um, and so I think as, like, those children grow up, like, I feel like the relationship is going to shift just from the nature of trying to be a good uncle and be in their mm-hmm. lives. So, yeah, family's tricky. Family feels heavy sometimes. I love them to pieces. And I also am somebody who feels very comfortable with the boundaries I've created for myself. That is a that is a good word. I mean, you mm. know, we we are, you know, you and I are talking when it's Pride Month. You know, we hope these yeah, 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 yeah. we hope these we hope these conversations will be evergreen. But but to be able to say to young people, mm-hmm. you know, you can love your family and you can love yourself. Yeah. You really can. And the way you love yourself well might help you create mm-hmm. some boundaries with family that help you love your family. Like mm-hmm. this is part of what like can we come out to use that expression mm-hmm. to what kind of love it is we need to be okay. Yeah. You know, you need some chosen family mm-hmm. where you can just chill. Your biological family is always going to be the ones that have your blood and your DNA. Mm-hmm. You know, how how do we navigate mm-hmm. that? I think that's a good word. Yeah, and that and it's it's literally like I think again because I grew up in a culture which taught me that blood was definitely about family was definitely about blood. You mm-hmm. protect the family no matter what. You keep the mm. secrets of the family no matter what. Mm-hmm. And we had some pretty nasty secrets in my family that mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. pretty much like at the end of it like my father decided he no longer wanted to be married to my mother and so it's just like well then what were we really holding on to, you know, wow. for? Yeah. Um so it, it, I got really like, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like, it was humbling to go from a family of that was like cookie cutter perfect to mm-hmm. having a family that was like 51% of all families in America. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It felt, it made me feel a little bit normal and mm. recognizing too, this is something that I think that like I didn't really get till maybe I, late 20s was, and the sooner you can get this, your parents are people. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be a point in your journey when you transition the relationship from parent-child to uh, parent to adult child. You know, yeah. they're always gonna you're always gonna be parent-child in some way, but just like you have to move into the space of we are both adults here. Yes. And you know, I'm allowed to. I not only am I allowed; it is my edict in within myself to protect my person, to protect my Absolutely, spirit. Absolutely, that's right. And that's if your family so right. can't honor you in that way, that's yeah. data to respond to. It is. It is. I, I'm often talking to people about how it's our job to grow up our parents. 
In other Ooh, words, well, like raising raising your parents mm. to be the parents you need. Um, we lost my mom. These stories mm. are in the book, and my dad's gonna. He hasn't read the book yet. We'll see how this goes. Um, but you know, we lost my mom uh, mm-hmm. four years ago uh, to cancer. You said your dad. The cancer mm-hmm. comes and and eats them, right? Mm-hmm. But I just remember. You know, like there have been a few times, Kevin, in my life with my dad, who adores me, but mm-hmm. still, like, I am the dad, I am demanding, I am talking to you a certain kind of way, mm-hmm. blah, 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 right? The, the, the last time that happened, I, I was graduating with my PhD, and he was just, like, not feeling in love with my friend, now my husband, John. Mm-hmm. It was just rude. And, um, and John left the graduation party, and I was like, oh, no. Oh mm. no! I'm uh, I'm grown. <laughs> I'm forty. Like, uh-uh. I am forty five years old. You are in my house in New York. That I bought my own. What? 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 And you're acting like that. And we just had the confrontation mm-hmm. of the most important one of my life. Of right. Either we're gonna do it differently, mm-hmm. or I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. My my. I will I will come and do your funeral because mommy's gonna ask. And mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. And I wasn't kidding. Mm-hmm. And my friends are like shocked at that story. I'm like, you know, sometimes you won't have that kind of confrontation right. with your posse. Mm-hmm. But if we don't care enough about the people mm-hmm. we love right. to tell them what we need, mm-hmm. is that really love? Hello. It's actually a form of manipulation. It is, right? And 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 it's and I feel like as soon as you know what your needs are, you mm-hmm. should try to communicate them. Right. Um, I've got three rules of like radical honesty that I try to keep. Hmm. One is I I'm always okay to name how I'm feeling because I know that I'm responsible for taking care of those feelings no matter mm-hmm. what. Mm-hmm. Even if someone else caused me to feel that way, mm-hmm. I know that I'm responsible for them. Two, I always name my needs and I know that I'm responsible for getting my needs met. So I can mm-hmm. name it. I can request somebody to meet that need for whatever it is. If they can't meet it, still my job to get it met. Third thing, I got to ask for what I want. And I can always ask for what I want if I'm always okay with hearing no. And that... Wow. Those three yes. rules right there. Like, if you can name your need to your parent, to your family, to your posse, and they say, no, I can't do that, that's not a reflection on you. That's not them saying no to you. That's saying, I do not have it. I and cannot so, do it. Yeah. So why? And then the question is, why am I mad that someone doesn't want to give me something that they do not themselves possess? It feels a little bit, you know, it's an interesting strategy, but I don't think it'll work. <laughs> I love that. Um, you're be honest about how you feel, mm-hmm. be honest about what you need, and be mm-hmm. honest about what you want because you're responsible for each of those three things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you get those three things, and I think I've played that out also mm-hmm. in like my really, really close friendships here. I, mean, I would say that the past five, six years have been like a pressure cooker of life for me. Like so yeah. much life has happened just in this five years. Um, Mm-hmm. I used to live with my best friends for a minute because, you know, when you're, you know, young and plucky and like you don't have any money, uh, <laughs> you live together in a two bedroom apartment with three people because that's how you roll. Um, but by the time it came to the end of it, my friends did not know how to, shall we say, invite me to not live with them anymore mm-hmm. because I'm a great friend. I'm not always the best roommate, you know. Okay. My my level of cleanliness is, you know, I'm ADHD. And so, okay. like, I've got little monuments to my life everywhere, all over the yeah. house. And they are, I wouldn't say they're neat freaks, but they're on a higher level than me. Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't keep up. And that's something that they didn't know how to communicate to me. Right. And 
at the end of it, like, I was sad, but I wasn't mad. But, like, the thing I told them, I'm just like, the thing I'm upset about is that you didn't trust me enough to tell me mm-hmm. that this was a problem the whole time. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. I feel like I've done you wrong, mm-hmm. and I've broken something that maybe I could have fixed. And, da, 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 da. and of course, right. that all just came from a lack of communication. Yeah. And so, from that yeah. point on, like, I told them, I said, if you ever have a problem with me again and you do not tell me, I will yeah. be very upset with you. Good on you. Because, like, if if you have a problem with, and this is, goes for all my friends. I had someone call me a couple weeks ago to say, hey, you remember, like, when we made out at that party one time? Uh, I actually said yes when I wanted to say no because of power dynamics. So, maybe. <laughs> Sorry. And so, it was like, you know what? I'm glad you told me because now I know. Now I know how to. Right treat you. Now I know how to love you more rather than, um, so yeah, rather than like guessing at something or, or making a misstep. Like that's Just why tell- I, that's why I'm so clear about like what I need and what I want because I'm more because, likely to get it. Well, and also the truth actually does set us free. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you know, they're like, oh, oh, that's in the scripture, but actually no, that's you, a fact. you are imprisoned if you are lying, you are in mm. freaking jail. If you are lying, you just are. Mm-hmm. You are in jail, and then you have to remember which lie you said. And you have to like you're pissed, and you're yeah. pissed at you. So you're imprisoned in your anger. You're imprisoned in your resentment. Yeah. You're imprisoned in the lie. Like, yeah. And the thing about truth. it is, is you don't even think it's a lie. You just no. think that you're. Oh, I just didn't. I'm just not being needy. I'm not I asking. That's right. I'm not saying how I feel because it's my problem. I should just be able to get over it. It doesn't yeah. matter if you should get over anything. Yes. If you are mad and you do not bring it out, that will eat you up. It will Anger eat you up. that is not expressed turns into cancer, turns into anxiety, turns into sleepless nights. It does. It does. It does. It does. And that's that's not good. No. I want to know. It, it, I want to know if the things we're saying right now translate to how we love the world. I think so, but I want us mm-hmm. to talk about that. Like how how does that truth, the the owning your own stuff, um, being responsible for your you know, for articulating, getting unique. What? How does that? How does that translate to how we are lovers in the world? Mm-hmm. The world, right? I think in some ways, I do like. I want to like jump it back to power just for a second, mm-hmm. sure. Because I am somebody who is in a space in my life where I can actually vocalize all of these things. Because hmm. there, if you live in an abusive household or an abusive relationship, if you grew up chronically in poverty, yep. You know, all of the things. It is so hard to imagine a world in which you ask for what you need or want and get it. Because the container you've lived in, the container you've grown up in, has not taught you that. Yes. In right. fact, it's also taught you that you shouldn't ask for those that's things. Right. You should be grateful just to be breathing. Right. And that's not our birthright. No. Joy is our birthright. And we have to start respecting ourselves enough to be able to, like, get those needs met. So I would say like when, when it relates to how we love the world, I think in some ways it's leading by example. Mm. It's like showing, I mean, I think for myself, like the internet is my platform, right? You know, yeah. Uh, I think by giving permission merely, you know, what what's that old saying? When you are, are yourself, you give someone else permission to be the same be thing. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's very similar. If we can show up unapologetically uh, as ourselves if we show up unapologetically owning our, our, our BS, you know, the mm-hmm. ways in which we fall short, if, and if we own the fact that we are creatures who have needs mm-hmm. and, you know, creatures who need one another, if we can own the fact that we are imperfect, I think that kind of example is, is very captivating. 
Um, and I think it's also why we need like really good clergy out there across religious lines showing up like, A, how to fail in public, yeah. you know, how to mess up both in our personal lives and professional lives and still re- recognize that we're loved. Um, so I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's a bad example. Like show off how you live in freedom, let other people pick up the same thing. And then also um, something, again, the Course would say is that the whole goal of life really is to remove the blocks to the awareness of love's presence. Mm. And so this is this kind of goes beyond the purview of the Course, but again, I'm a practical theologian, so we do theology in real time. That's right. Um, is that if Jesus, Jesus, my favorite person, obviously, um, he was doing theology in real time by like any time that there was a need that needed to be met, even if it would violate tradition or law, is like, let me meet this need because I have the power to do it. Right. And yep. so I kind of, that's how I kind of live with it. It's just like, if I have the power to alleviate somebody's suffering, I probably should do it. You know, I'm not worth more or less if I don't. I think just it would add more love to the world. So that's what I want to do. Yep. Um, I love the way you said that, Kevin. It's not yeah. about shame or whatever. It's like, oh, I could do it. Yeah, I could do love. that. Yep. I could add more love to the world. And mm-hmm. I, I recognize that as I give this love away, mm-hmm. I, I, that's what I secure for myself because love is the endless resource, right? Yep. Um, and so that love is probably going to look like in our country, I don't know, universal health care. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, a lack of health care is a block to the awareness of love's presence because if you can't feel good physically in your body because you have chronic pain, chronic illness, because you just can't go get something treated, uh, and there's some, there's no need for that. There's literally <laughs> no need for that. Right. It's, it's the same thing, like um, militarism, you know, right. like colonialism, white supremacy, these are all blocks to the awareness of love's presence. And so I think... As a student of Jesus and somebody who wants to like live with radical love and revolutionary love, as um, Valerie Kaur puts it, like I want to be somebody who reimagines um, the world where other people like so people don't have to like even question that it's possible for them. Um, so I think it's like for me, my goal is like I'm here to stand in the gap uh, for those who don't have it until we get there, you know? Yeah. And so I'm going to do my part. I'm going to show up to, I'm going to work, you know, like everyone, we have to be activists regardless of whether that, how that plays out. Yep. Yeah. You know, whether you show up for a protest, whether you are calling, whether you're getting involved in your local BLM or DSA. Or challenging your people at the dinner table. That's how Hello. Yep. Hello. Mm-hmm. And that, we, that we I don't think, talk like that. You know, that doesn't work for me. Yep. My favorite thing to do around the dinner table is if like someone says something, like le- legitimate, someone said, "Like I think Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization." I said, "How many? How many of your black friends feel when you say that?" And they're like, ooh, ooh. "I'm like, yeah, that's right. You don't have any black friends because you're annoying. <laughs> you ain't never been to a protest. You don't know shit. Shut up." <laughs> now, granted, like that right there—that's <laughs> activism. Listen, I, I don't have time for people anymore. Like that's also—it's like people want to. <laughs> Uh, Twitter and Instagram who like me- leave these mean comments I just don't have time I just like reverse troll them I'm just like oh my god thank you for telling me that Leviticus thank, <laughs> thank you I've never <laughs> read it and now my soul is saved <laughs> Kevin <laughs> oh my god listen it's a joy to talk to you and I, mm-hmm. I don't even want to stop but I do want to ask you to tell me yeah. what do you know for sure about love hmm <sighs> 
What do I know for sure about love? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I know for sure that love is the only thing that truly exists and that which is all encompassing can have no opposite. Mm-hmm. That's a line mm-hmm. from a course too, always. Mm-hmm. But like, I really do believe that like, there is love present in every single moment. There is like, and by love, I mean God, I mean spirit, I mean energy, I mean Jesus, I mean you, I mean me, I mean everybody listening to this later. Like, there is a thing, a through line that just joins us all. And it's like, it's a reality that I can just say yes to. It's yes. not a relationship I have to work on. It's not something I have to fix. Yeah. It is merely if I just want to breathe in yep. and return home. There it is. That's it. That's beautiful. And so, yeah, I'd say like love is always present. It can't be, it can't be destroyed and it won't be. It won't be destroyed. It can't be destroyed. It can be blocked. And maybe our job mm. as fierce lovers is to unblock it. Um, exactly. That's the whole thing. Spend your entire life unblocking your perception to love and you'll do it for everybody else. That's it's right. very simple. Kevin Garcia, I'm so glad I know you. Mama Jackie, I'm let's, glad I know you too. Let's I do miss this your, some more. I, I miss your face. I know, I miss your face. Soon and very soon, we're going to get to see each other in person. I'm coming to Hotlanta. Ah! I've got to let you know when because I want you to take me out for a, you know, cocktail 100%. or something. 100%. Percent. Yeah. I got you, sis. Coming this summer, okay? Good Love to see it. you. Love Thank you. you for having me. Thank you. Love period is Corey Big, Paul Swanson, Izzy Spitz, Sarah Janzak, Jenna Kuiper, Sarah Palmer, Nicholas Kramer, and I'm Calissa Brewster. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is located in the heart of New Mexico, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. We also have other podcasts you might like. You can find those wherever you like to listen by searching for Center for Action and Contemplation or visit us at cac.org to find out more about our other programs. From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good.